I'm Nicola Brink, I'm Director of Public Health. The new mental health strategy is actually a refreshed strategy from our previous strategy. And so we've not only looked at what was in our previous strategy, but also at available evidence that we have now. But linked with that, we've had two reviews by David Gates. So our strategy basically has four pillars, always data and evidence. We love data and evidence. So looking at the various data sets, and so not only those that we collate in public health, those that are collated in health and social care, but also very valuable data from the third sector, so and exactly then designing services that are relevant for us based on local data. So local data mm -hmm. informing local services. The next pillar relates to information access awareness. The prevention, the um, awareness, designing, again, considering um, how we can stay healthy. So the strategy not only looks at mental illness, but looks at mental well-being. So we want this to reflect mental well-being and mental health in its broader sense. One of the um, parts of Pillar 2, the information and awareness, mm -hmm. is also looking at signposting. So we want to have transparent, available signposting, not only for healthcare professionals, mm -hmm. but also for the community. And then we have our service improvement, service provision, and mm -hmm. obviously that's a large part of the pillar. That's looking at what we're doing. Is there anything we could be doing differently, doing better? Have we dealt any service gaps? So that's going to be really important. And then our final pillar relates to the external reviews. So looking at the recommendation of external reviews and making sure that we are acting on those recommendations or at least considering those recommendations. I think what has been most rewarding from our perspective has been that this has been a multidisciplinary pan-island development of the strategy. Mm -hmm. So the strategy development has been overseen by the Mental Health and Wellbeing Steering Group. So that steering group not only has statutory officials, so public health, health and social care, specialist mental health services, education, police, prison services, and so on. Mm -hmm. So not only has the statutory officials, but also importantly has the community and voluntary sector. And so the charitable sector has been absolutely key in developing yeah. the strategy. And we owe a huge debt of gratitude to Joan, who's given so freely over time in developing the strategy. Then we also, and probably most importantly, have people with lived experience. And they again tell the story. They look at our services and can give us that different aspect. So having those experts by experience, as people with lived experience, has really contributed to developing a strategy which we feel is appropriate for the bailiwick. Now, the important thing about the strategy is it's a living document. So although it has a five-year lifespan, if new evidence becomes available, change our recommendations as appropriate. And I think that's important. We don't want a static document. We also want the strategy to be accountable. So we're going to produce an annual report, and in that annual report, we'll then publish the progress on our key performance indicators. But we would argue that we're accountable to every islander, and we're hoping that islanders will engage and support yeah. the strategy. You mentioned there, obviously, people with lived experience getting involved. I mean, that sounds to me like it's got to be key. Getting support from people with lived experience yeah. is key so, to so much of what we're yeah. doing. I think Dr. Bishop, you yeah, talk I mean, more about that. I think it's been value, very valuable and the people with lived experience specifically have lived experience with secondary care services. Mm -hmm. um, I think ideally we'd include more people and people who've had experience with other parts of the service. But I think what's also worth bearing in mind is many people go to work and into healthcare or whatever 
level of specialties because they themselves have some type of lived experience. So right, okay. actually staff with their own health problems or mental health problems or you know, some psychological issues mm. are far more likely to be primed to have an interest in going into those particular areas. I'm not going to pretend that we do it for free, we're not a voluntary service, doctors themselves get paid quite well, but we could mostly get paid better elsewhere for mm. less stressful jobs. We want to help, we want to work with people to improve their lives because we know how difficult it can be, and whether or not that's because we have a personal experience or because you have a close friend or a relative, mm. it's actually there is a significant overrepresentation of people with an, a sort of an ally of, of experience as well. Yeah. But those actual individuals really have been the key and have been really helpful. And how willing have people been to share that lived experience? It was relatively easy to be honest. We put out a, a, an advert, um, we had many more people apply than we had positions. I think we appointed three people, um, two of them consistently engaged, yeah. so that's two service users and one business representative. Yeah. Um, but we could have had lots of more people yeah. have more time and if people are interested in the future I'm sure that's something we'd be willing to consider. Yes, because this is going to be an ongoing, I know you said the strategy is for five years and there'll be annual reviews, but that doesn't mean that in five years that's it, case exactly. closed, we're all done. The only thing I would say is whilst having some of lived experience is incredibly helpful and incredibly important, they have to be well enough to do yes. it. So they have to be stable enough and far enough away from an episode themselves mm. to be able to tolerate because actually some of the things that are discussed mm. around the table can resonate, can be difficult and the last yeah. thing we want to do as an organisation mm. is to push people into something that actually causes their mental health and their well-being to deteriorate. So yeah. it's a difficult balance but that is a conversation that we have with them sensitively and gently mm. at the point of interview. Yeah, um, and also Dr Brink, you mentioned the review by Dr Getz that was 2018 and then 2022. It was mainly very positive, wasn't it, in terms of services that are available and how um, accessible those services are. But there was some negative feedback from members of the public. So I think it's important that we're honest about the historical context 2018, and that was off the back of a very serious incident, the sad death of a service user on mm-hmm. the board, yeah. and the, the sort of political concern and the, the mm. concern from the community. And we asked him to come and specifically review secondary care services. And what he actually said was, the secondary care service here is very good, it's as good as anywhere else, mm. probably in the developed world where states provide a, a mental health service. He didn't say it was perfect. That's what's been sort of interpreted and being extrapolated. He didn't say that, and we certainly aren't saying that either. Um, What he meant really is it's better than the NHS. But that's not a particularly high bar. Mm. You know, we don't want to aim to be as good as the NHS or almost as good as the NHS. Mm. We want to be better, and I think we can be better. Um, The second review wasn't about mental health services, it was about mental health and well-being in the round. So what we asked him to do is to look at the entirety of that, um, to go around to different organisations, mm. to have focus groups with um, sort of with groups of people, with individuals. Um, it was more of a sort of focus group and public yeah. opinion, and lots of that was individualised, and mm-hmm. lots of that was based on people's experience themselves or with a relative. Um, so lots of the things that we said were, were gaps in inverted commas were an individual person's view of and one of the things as a steering group we had to look at and think about very seriously is you know is this a gap is it being filled and the person just wasn't aware of it and is there a way that we can mm. work together more cohesively and collaboratively to close some of these mm. gaps or to signpost so people don't think there are gaps 
or is there a gap that it's such a tiny gap that will affect such a, you know, a small proportion that actually as an island it's not realistic to fit it? And is there another way in which we can, re- can creatively fill those mm-hmm. deficiencies? I would say as an organisation, HSE, if they do identify that there is a service that is needed but it's not possible in terms of finances to provide it on island, there really is a willingness to support that person identifying that elsewhere. But if an individual needs that and it's nice recommended recommended and there's no way of plugging that gap on island, we do have a responsibility to try and fill that elsewhere. So the two reviews by Mr Getz and other work that's been done locally, that's all fed into the strategy. And as we said, it's involved the third sector as well as the HSC uh, services and professionals and I mean how closely does the third sector work and how closely has the third sector been involved? Um, as, as far as the actual strategy um, certainly myself and third sector um, organisations literally have been sat around this table sometimes as well actually yeah. involved at all the meetings we've been commenting on uh, the various drafts inputting mm. our perspective on things as well because we're seeing different things yeah. what we see on a day to day basis working at if you like the lower end of men- more mental well-being rather mm. than sort of clinical mental ill health yeah. you know, we're seeing different things on a day to day basis than, than the likes of Dr Bishop is for example but it all feeds in doesn't yes, it absolutely. if mental well-being is looked after yeah. in some cases you can prevent it escalating yes. to the yeah, clinical absolutely. ill health and, and yeah. I think that's as a charity that's what we're all about so we're looking mm. at um, Dr Brink yesterday was talking about the building blocks and it's mm. about the, the bottom of the pyramid where there are more people and more people are affected if we can do work that keeps people well mm-hmm. there's less opportunity for them to become really unwell so we don't really want them to come yeah. done next door we want to yeah. give people skills yeah. knowledge understanding ways to keep themselves well uh, and then or even to know that you know what I'm feeling a bit uh, unwell or a bit different or I, you know I, I don't feel as happy as I used to maybe that's a time to say heck I need some help here and actually reaching out for that help and support so I think I think the nice thing about about the, the whole process really for for us in particular is that it is I think now much more of a partnership approach mm. um, I know there's often a lot of talk about you know the states working in silos um, and I'd like to think that how the strategies we put together means that we can all talk to each other. Um, if I can give you a little example without Please, yeah. too many details, we were sat around a, a, a table, as I said, um, Dr Brink said there's statutory services here, prison police and so on, and we were talking about a new uh, low-level intervention that, that we're going to be um, providing at Guernsey Mind over the next few months uh, for people with mild symptoms of poor mental health. Um, and as we were talking and um, liaising with, with people at the prison, we were thinking, is this something we could develop into the prison? We've got to do a little bit of work because it might not sort of be able to be picked up and put there. And actually, so there's a potential of some sort of third sector and statutory service connection, which actually will help the, you know, the more goody, um, really, rather than us just doing stuff here that we think is great and somebody else doing something yeah. there, which, you know, is also great, but actually wouldn't it make more sense if it's all joined up? And that's the other great thing, I think, about... Uh, one of the, the stages of the, um, one of the pillars, we should call it, uh, one of the pillars is actually putting, making sure that we can actually map the pathways for people because I think there is a lot of that mm. people don't know what's available, where they can go for help, uh, what it actually means when they, when they perhaps go to Healthy Minds, for example, or go to another organisation or another. Um, I think that's, yeah. that, that's really key because there's been a huge amount of 
relatively superficial mental health awareness over mm. the last five, six, ten years. Yeah. But mental health awareness and mental health understanding and knowing where to go when you're struggling and know at what level mm. where which direction you should go, I think that's the mismatch that we've got yeah. at the moment. And it's interesting we were speaking to the, the States of Albany on Monday Monday and one of the things they were saying is we don't have doctors that go there and I went, Well doctors gone there this morning. So they said, Well, we're starting the programme with with probation service today. I don't think we're very good at promoting what's out there. And I think that needs to change. And actually a, a public facing document that's accessible yeah. to all is exactly what I mean, Joe was saying, what you're alluding to, the earlier you can intervene. And that's true for the mild mental health problems, mm. to be honest with you, that's true for the most major mental health problems. Okay. So even people with psychotic illnesses, um, there's a theory called duration of untreated psychosis, whereby the, the longer someone lasts with an untreated illness, the worse the prognosis is. The earlier you can get in, even if a person is floridly psychotic, hearing voices, delusional, behaviourally disturbed, if you can get in quickly and you can treat them effectively, you can get them out of hospital, their prognosis is far better than if they're left for 6, 12, 18 months. In the UK, it takes an average of 12 months for a female to be picked up who is psychotic, and an average of 18 months for a man who is psychotic to be picked up. And for the latter, it's usually by the criminal justice system. We live in a very small community. It's very hard to hide. We're very mentally unwell. So actually, we get in and we treat people generally. Not in every case, it's not perfect. And I've seen much better effects in terms of people returning to work in terms of their relationships, keeping them, mm. keeping their children, those sorts of things, yeah. which is what we really want. We want people to live as their best life, to have the lowest possible dose of medication so that they're well but they don't feel medicated. Here we're quite lucky. So if you go to, if you live in the UK, if you're lucky enough to get a GP appointment, you've probably never seen that GP before and you'll probably never see them again yeah. and you're very unlikely to see them in person. Here, actually many of the GPs have known people for years. Yeah. And often people who are in the early stages of a psychotic illness or, or a mental health problem generally just feel that there's something not quite right. Um, they can't really put their finger on it. But actually if they go to see someone who has known them for 10, 15 years, that person will pick up on it and they'll know yeah. they might be the initial person to give them a bit of help and support, but then they'll see them frequently mm. and they'll refer them at a much earlier stage. Obviously, there are other people that become very suddenly unwell yeah. without social links that do present to the emergency department, possibly brought in by the police or do present in police mm. custody. Um, but actually, those aren't the majority anymore. Yeah. The majority of people are referred in on a relatively routine basis by their GPs or by people in the BH and are seen relatively quickly. It's, it is the fault of the media that the cases that we tend to hear about that are reported are the stories where people have hit a crisis point. Um, but there are probably, in that lived experience that you've all you know, been looking to engage with, some real success stories of people that have kind of come through at the other side and, uh, as you said, living their best, best lives. It's, it's often not an entirely smooth journey, but mm. absolutely we want to work towards recovery. And recovery isn't just the absence of voices, the absence of delusions. Recovery is about returning, functioning and of quality yeah. of life. And that includes relationships and friendships and employment and meaningful yeah. activity and, and all those things which are valuable to every person mm. without mental illness. Thank you for listening to The Interview, a Bailiwick Express podcast. If you liked what you heard, please like and subscribe. 
You can find us on all social media channels, and if you'd like to keep up to date on all the work the Express team does, please sign up to our daily email by visiting gsy.bailiwickexpress.com.